0: Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, grow you as a disciple, and help you serve his purpose. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. It's great to be back here with you, and back in Canberra. We uh, stake a claim to still being Canberra locals, even though we don't live here, but after 12 years of living here and driving around, uh, I can confidently say and proudly so that uh, the last 10 days I have not got lost once in Canberra, which was not the story when we first moved down here. But uh, I think it testament, it's testament to the fact that we can claim local resident status still. So. Anyway, great to be with you. I'm going to uh, invite my beautiful wife, Deb, to come and say hi to you. Would like to come up, Deb?
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for inviting us into your beautiful church and just to enjoy God's presence together. Um, Isn't it great when there's people that can play instruments and have beautiful voices to sing to lead us? And I really appreciated that, Um, that young Rebecca um, that was leading us this morning. Yeah, thank you. And um, just the the team. But also, as Amanda said, she's saying that we've blessed her, we've blessed you over the years. But I've got to say, in return, thank you for what you've sown into our lives. (laughs) Because it means a lot. And uh, Amanda, you know, took the freedom ministry into our church. And we are seeing life changed. And it's been really a great impact. And how true, isn't it, that we are ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And even the words of Mother Teresa when she spoke. And, you know, she said that um, some of us can do great things. But all of us can do some things with great love. And I think if we can recognise the love that propels us to love others, uh, we, we will see God do extraordinary things. And uh, at times we just feel very ordinary. And yet when we come together, like being in the company of one another, in his presence, um, it's just beautiful to see the body at work. And uh, there are people behind the scenes in the kids' ministry, at the sound desk. There are people that have been serving through the week. And uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you here, and I know with your pastors that haven't been here for a period of time and you've released them to have that break so that they can come back refreshed. Um, on behalf of them too, I I say thank you, because we know as senior pastors just the, the need to uh, have that break, and uh, some of you have worked, are really working hard, and uh, I want to thank the team. We've had a beautiful time, John, Amanda, Pramod, and um, Amy, who's been sending out emails all, all the time, and, and all of you team, and lovely to meet some of you uh, in the small groups yesterday. I know some of you were at baby showers and other things were going on, but for the, the small group that were there, we, uh, we just really appreciated that time with you, and uh, we are benefiting as much as you are. Uh, from us, I hope, I hope it's been, but we can uh, just encourage and uh, support one another and allow God to do greater things in our future and through our families and through the next generation. So thank you for having us. Thanks for the time with you. And um, yeah, we look forward to more time with you. We love Canberra. We came back and we just felt so at home, didn't we? So uh, probably enough said from me now. <laughs> Thanks, babe
0: thanks babe (laughs) deb's the the sanguine extrovert i'm the uh introvert of the the couple but it works it works but having said that i want to uh kind of brag so we now have 10 grandchildren our 10th was born on halloween on the Tuesday, so we haven't met him yet. So he is actually of of the ten. We've only got two that are carrying on the white name. Uh, but uh, this morning, I got sent by my daughter-in-law, who just gave birth, uh, a photo of our son Caleb holding uh, Miles, watching Manchester United play Fulham. And I just thought, you know, for any soccer tragics out there like me, that was a really good, you know, fifth-day baptism into. The world of sport, But what made it even better was that the other grandfather, Pip's dad, is actually a Fulham supporter. And so he was, uh, Miles already has divided loyalties at five, year, five days old. And, uh, but this time, this grandfather came out on top. So I'm not, uh, anyway, <laughs> bit of indulgence there. But uh, <coughs> so, as Deb said, it's, it's great to be here. We got to spend some time with Paul, uh, Pastor Paul and Mel. Uh, On Friday, and you may or may not know this bit of uh, history, but uh, we go back a really long way to the point where Deb was actually a leader on the camp that Pastor Paul gave his heart to Christ at, and Deb discipled him uh, in his early journey with Christ. So our connection with you goes back a really long way, and uh, we uh, we fondly think of C3 Watson because um, you embraced us when we moved to Canberra and welcomed us and uh, this building wasn't here that and then so we sort of walked alongside you as you came on this journey but uh, some of the pillars of the church then are still here now and the church isn't the building it's the people you know so the the jenkins amanda who wasn't even married at the time the gildings primod and heather so many of you and uh i've just noticed nathan and lisa oliver fantastic <laughs> to see you guys I think the last time we saw, them, we had dinner in Edinburgh. I think. Welcome back, and it's great to see you. Um, but uh, just the the history and the longevity is inspirational, and uh, we feel very privileged. So let's uh, close our eyes and look away to God as we come around His Word. Just before I pray, I was reminded recently that a, a preacher, when they preach. Uh, has in front of them a group of people who are sitting beside a private puddle of tears that has never been spoken about. And so for you this morning, I don't know what that private puddle of tears is, but I'm believing that God will touch your heart, minister deep into your soul as we come around the word today, as we get a sense of purpose and destiny about why we are here, And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that the same love that lifted Jesus off the cross 2,000 years ago will lift our hearts into your presence this morning. The The same inspiration of the Holy Spirit over thousands of years that inspired the writing of your word will inspire a fresh insight and understanding of you today. And so, Father, we thank you. As we come around your word, that you would breathe something fresh into us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got the privilege of uh, kicking off this new series on uh, Bold, which is uh, a her journey into evangelism following on from a freedom series that you've been doing for a while and uh, a key element of the freedom that I think you've been discussing over time is, is uh, the freedom to be who you are in Christ and so this morning I hope as we unpack some scripture that there, that will find a lodging place and, and a sort of, some sort of definition for you moving forward But I want to uh, begin by sharing a story about a book that I read on holidays. We were a few years ago now on holidays down at Churros Head. Anybody holiday down there? A few people, lovely spot down here, and uh, as as it was, we were in a holiday house, and there was a book on the shelf, and it captured my attention. The title of the book was um, Religion for Atheists, and I thought, well, that sounds like an interesting read, so I might kind of grab that and uh, put down John Grisham and picked up Religion for Atheists, written by um, an atheist by the name of Alan D. Botton, I think it is, he's a very intellectual guy, but he's written this book, and, and it's A Non-Believer's Guide to the Uses of Religion, and I thought, this is fascinating, and, and so I'm going to read a little extract out of it, but before I do, I think it made me realise the context of churches in Canberra is pretty unique. And so Canberra obviously is the capital city of a nation and so is also the centre of decision-making, of government. There's a lot of uh, uh, educational um, institutions here. Uh, A lot of what culture offers to the rest of Australia comes out of the decision-making and the, the choices that happen here in Canberra. So it's quite significant that, uh, that, that we are aware of these kind of influences culturally uh, uh, that come out of, of Canberra. And so, because I think that um, the, the role that cu- culture plays is really significant in, in our uh, destiny as Christians. So let me begin reading this extract from Religion for Atheists. I know as a pastor, I should probably start with the Bible. Um, so I'm not, I haven't become an atheist, just in case you're wondering. We, we'll get there in a minute. Here we go. Novels and historical narratives can uh, adeptly impart moral instruction and edification. Great paintings do make suggestions about our requirements for happiness, Philosophy can usefully address our anxieties and offer consultations, consolations. Literature can change our lives. Equivalents to the ethical lessons of religion do lie scattered across the cultural canon. Why then does the notion of replacing religion with culture, of living according to the lessons of literature and art as believers will, according to the lessons of faith, continue to sound so peculiar to us? So what he's wanting to postulate is that, that art and philosophy and education and culture general should prioritise itself over religion and that people's passion for religion should be overseen by people's passion for culture. So it goes on to say, Why are are atheists not able to draw on culture with the same spontaneity and rigour which the religious apply to their holy texts? And therein lies the challenge, I think, that we find ourselves facing that society wants us to discard our holy texts and draw on culture and uh, use the cultural influences to, to inform the way we move forward in life. And so... In keeping with this theme about bold and evangelism, I'm hoping that this morning there will be an impartation or an expansion in your thinking and approach around what your identity is, the sphere of influence that you've been entrusted and being people of grace and truth into those contexts. So we all... Uh, evangelism is about the people that we reach. Reach, in terms of the noun, is the extent or range of something's application, effect, or influence. So, So you are going to be people of application, effect, and influence into the workplaces or circles of influence where you find yourselves. We have an immediate sphere of influence that God asks us to reach, impacting the people around us with truth and grace of the gospel, Jesus so, stewarding every aspect of our life to see our identity centred on the person of Christ and reflecting his truth and grace. From there, being led by the Spirit in the context of people, places and work he leads us to do. So, what does it mean to touch the world and how can we do it? And so, we're going to look at some scriptural examples of how this was done. There is a culture war on. Atheists have an agenda to replace the Bible With culture it is a sinister secular agenda on the battleground that has been waged for centuries so this battle's been going on as long as life itself but here in Canberra I think we're uniquely placed to make a difference many of us work directly in the public service or contract to the public service we are public servants in a very different sort of way And so the Bible is full of examples of people who were public servants. Moses, Joseph, Esther, Nehemiah, and Daniel. Isaiah 59, uh, 14 and 15 says this, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So what it's saying is in the public squares, squares, righteousness is made a mockery of, and if you stand up for righteousness, you will become a victim. I don't know about you, but have you ever experienced any kind of that antagonism in, in your sphere of influence? You may well be able to identify with that. And so the cultural challenge today is no different to the cultural challenge of the day of the prophets when that scripture was written. So truth has stumbled in the public arena. Truth is lacking, and if you take a stand against evil, you will be picked on. So what can we do about it? We're going to follow the example of one of the greatest public servants in in Scripture, which is Daniel. Let's look at Daniel 1, 1 to 8. Turn, and have a look at this Scripture together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. They were to be recultured, culturally indoctrinated. Nothing kosher about what they were going to be experiencing in Babylon. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I find it fascinating that Daniel uh, stood up, stood ground, engaged respectfully, but he was protecting his identity. And he was sure of who he was in God. And so the first thought this morning is hold fast to your identity. Whatever your workplace, wherever it may be, in the public service or whatever other arena, hold fast to your identity. Culture has an agenda to change your identity. Let's have a look at how this played out in that portion of Scripture. Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge. But they changed it to Belshazzar, lady, protect the king. Gender confusion, trying to mess up relationships, all sorts of challenges in that name change, that identity shift. Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious, changed to Shadrach, Shadrach, I am fearful of God, undermining his spirituality undermining your faith in God. This is what culture is trying to do to you and I. Mishael, who is what God is, was changed to Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible and humiliated. Reducing God in that young man's life. And so we find ourselves, content- and those spirits that were behind that are behind what's attacking us today, I believe. Azariah, Yahweh has helped to Abednego, servant of Nebo, trying to redefine our future. And so culture is trying to undermine your identity, rewrite your future, and bring you a a sense of godlessness in the midst of it. So it needs to be really important that we hold fast our identity. God who has made you has the right name for you. When culture shifts, you've got to know who you are. Culture will always create a confrontation. Daniel resolved not to defile himself, but still respected the way that he engaged with those above him. Will I change the world or will the world change me? When my identity comes from God, will will my identity come from God or from the world? And that's why I think the, the series before about freedom is about Getting our identity grounded, the freedom that we have to be who we are in God is so, so important. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Post-Christian society says, the enemy of freedom is in the traditions, structures and inherited wisdom of the ancient ways. It's like oh, you follow all those ancient ways and texts and all, that's that's old hat. You know, there's a new way now. And and post-Christian society thinks that freedom comes out of the new way, not out of the old ways. Deconstructing pre-existing norms such as family, sexuality, gender, language and culture, the foundational containers in which society and people have found uh, place and meaning is being undermined and destroyed. And so when we think about holding fast to our identity, that is actually pretty significant spiritual stance. Postmodernists seek to expand personal freedom as the solution as of um, the human condition. But they're not realising that the freedom that will really sustain and endure is the freedom that comes from Christ. We are drowning in freedoms but thirsting for meaning. In the face of this, you and I carry meaning into the world in which we live and the workplace mission fields God has placed us. Can I encourage you in the, in the workplace sphere of influence that you've been placed you have an identity that is breathed by God and that it's empowering and sustaining and that, that uh, you can do it in such a way that is honouring to God. You don't need to be a, a, just a, a, a nasty person, but there's a, a resilience about you that allows you to hold on to your identity. So understanding your identity. The second thought then is being vigilant for your sphere of influence. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writing this. He says, We, however, will not boast beyond measures, significant word, but in with the limit of the sphere, another significant word, which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. We are not overextending ourselves uh, as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, Not boasting of all things beyond measure, that is, in another man's labor, but having hope that that your faith is increased. We shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. You have been entrusted with a sphere of influence. We have spiritual territory as believers. So that word measure comes from the root word metron, Greek word metron, apportioned off measure, a determined extent, a measure or limit. And that word sphere comes from the root word canon, one's sphere of activity, a def- uh, definitely bounded or fixed space within the limits of which one's authority or influence is confined. A province or region assigned to a person. So every believer has a ministry assignment entrusted to them by the Holy Spirit when we look and apply this scripture. And so I want you to think about that in the context of of your public service or whatever that your work or family environment might be. Your metron is a territory that God has measured out and given you responsibility for. Your metron is your ministry assignment, your responsibility, your sphere of spiritual influence. Your metron is a specific location where you have a physical presence and a spiritual authority when you go into your workplace if it's a government department or an educational institution or a hospital whatever it may be you have a sphere of influence that is spiritual when you go into that place and so you take a presence with you it's specific and it's powerful so The Lord measures out to you a specific territory in which you can move in power and make the kingdom of God known. So your presence there unsettles the things of darkness. You don't have to say much. You don't have to do much. You just have to be who you are in Christ. And that brings an unsettling in that. And so I think that if we can become aware of what our metron is and see it for what it is, that's a very empowering thing. It's your responsibility to identify your territory and, take, uh, and govern within it. We don't need to be shy or uh, apologetic about. So your territory includes everything over which God wants you to take responsibility, including yourself So the very first part of the territory you've been given authority over is yourself, your spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination, your body, your skills, your thoughts, your dreams, your aspirations. All of these things uh, you have the authority to take under the identity of who you are in Christ. Uh, Your marriage or your singleness, your relationships, Um, this is part of your territory that you can actually bring your Christian identity into. Your family, whether they're Christian or not, the values, the culture, the training, the discipline, the boundaries of your family is like, and sometimes that can be the most difficult sphere of influence to function in. Uh, your money your stewardship the management of the resources that you've been entrusted your home your possessions your other possessions your workplace and your job the spiritual atmosphere in that place your uh, your ministry and your community the the relationships that you have all of these you carry your a spiritual atmosphere into and have an authority in A mature believer develops a strong sense of personal boundaries, constantly aware of what they are responsible for and what they are not responsible for. And that's a significant thing. We don't need to boast beyond our our sphere of influence, as Paul put it. And so we take our God-given authority in our sphere of influence and use it and we resolve not to defile ourselves. So if our identity is anchored in Christ, we have the freedom that comes from walking with Christ, we can then exert the spiritual authority in our sphere of influence that we have been entrusted. So then the third thought is that we are to be purveyors of culture's greatest need, grace and truth. I love that word purveyors. It's, it's, it's like it has a, a sense of um, something distinguished about it. It's um, We are purveyors of culture's greatest need, grace and truth. What an extraordinary thought. John 1, 14 and 17 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory in the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Without truth... We are corrupt. Without grace, we are condemned. Without truth, we become worldly. Without grace, we become judgmental. Without truth uh, a truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Grace invites us to be free. The truth sets us free. Grace is God's favor. Truth is God's standard, His word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's why culture wants to do away with the word of God, scripture, the Bible, and replace it with philosophy or art or whatever it might be. But we stand on the truth, the word of God. And so as we draw to a close this morning, I want to have a look at how Jesus showed how this can work Um, In the public arena. Let's have a look at John 8, 1 to 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. So he's in the center of the city, the, the public square, the temple courts. Everybody's gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Have you you ever found yourself entrapped by accusational questions that have come maybe in your workplace or family or whatever it is? You know, this is a dynamic that is not new. And yet we we find ourselves um, challenged with it. Time and time again, and even society—we've been confronted to this. You know, what do you believe about marriage or sex or the the world or government or the voice or this or that or the other? It's like it's—you know—there's an an entrapment kind of thing happening out there there to, to paint us as harsh and judgmental and critical people, but we're not. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave, uh, go and leave your life of sin. Neither do I, equals grace. Go and sin no more, equals truth. No compromise for culture, not bowing to, not getting entrapped, but actually responding with, with the greatest thing that we can respond with, which is love. No compromise for culture, holds tight to God's truth, freely, gives God's grace. Because Christ has done it, we can do it in Him. And I want to leave with you this final word of encouragement out of Jeremiah. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I've sent you. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. You know what? There's actually payoff for your investment into your sphere of influence the welfare of the city will become your welfare and so as you start to see godly influencing godly influence changing people's lives as you hold fast to the identity that God has given you wherever wherever you find yourself working that's going to make a huge, huge difference how you conduct yourself is the, the, the welfare of the city is contingent on that I kind of think, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? But he's entrusted that to you and to us. And I think it's an extraordinary privilege. Can I invite you to just uh, close your eyes, bow your heads. Can I also invite you to stand at this time? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we see in your word examples of people who have stood true to their identity to their sphere of influence that they've been entrusted and to be ministers of grace and truth I ask today that for each and every one of us in this room that we would be able to stand in our identity in you Christ in the sphere of influence you have entrusted to us and be ministers of grace and truth and for those of us who, who are just dealing with that private puddle of tears beside us, I pray you would minister deep into their soul with a healing touch from heaven that would reinforce their identity in you, that would remind them of your love for them and would give them a sense of purpose and destiny in the sphere of influence to which you have entrusted them. And I thank you, God, that we can all be purveyors of grace and truth in the areas in which we find ourselves. Father, today, for those who don't know you, I would ask you to really think about what's shaping or who is shaping your identity. Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be the culture of the day? Is it going to be the cynicism of the world? Or is it going to be the grace and truth of the person of Jesus Christ? Your identity and by extension, even the welfare of the city hangs on the decision that you decide to make around that option offered to you today. And I would encourage you to explore deeply with all your heart and soul and mind and strength the opportunity walking with Jesus for the rest of your life and you're going to be given an opportunity to respond to do that in a a few moments but my encouragement to you would be think through who is shaping your identity and I thank you God for those who are going into tough work situations or uh, school environments at school or study or wherever it may be families Lord, that you would give each and every one of us the grace and truth to be your ministers in those situations, to honour you, to not allow ourselves to be defiled, but to respectfully stand by the identity that you have empowered us to live. I thank you, Father, for freedom that allows us to make those choices, to honour you in a respectful way, just as Daniel did. And so, Father, I pray as this room empties today and goes to various spheres of influence right across this city that the the ripple effect would be felt through the decision making and the courts of justice and the and the halls of education lord that, that we would recognize the sacred responsibility that we've been entrusted to actually shape the culture in which we've been placed Father, right now, take authority over every principality and power and spiritual dark force that would seek to oppress and frustrate and intimidate and limit your people in their spheres of influence. We bind and break every one of these things in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for a fresh, clear boldness on your people to be your people in the place that you have put them in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.